0: This is Channel 253.
1: In this episode of What Say You?
2: Who they see is what you see. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have to remain grounded because I don't always have the cloak of respectability once I take that robe off. Some of my colleagues do and it's called white. I don't have that.
1: Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com/slash membership and join. Thank you.
0: What say you? Real Sisters, Real Talk. What say you? Down-to-earth conversations between sisters about life, work, family in the pursuit of an anti-racist community. Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Melanie. What What say say you? Sister Audrey, hey, girl, hey. Hey, 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 hey. How are you? And let's put this in perspective first. It is November 12, 2020. How are you today, sister? Sister, girl, let me tell you something. It has been super rough. It has been rough. Do you understand me? And I'm just being serious, okay? I'm going to tell you that I have struggled. This is November 12th. The election was November 3rd. So for the last nine days, I've gone through a range of emotions from being jubilant to what the (laughs) hell just happened. To damn it, just leave. You know, I mean, like all <laughs> of these emotions. And then it's I finally true, said, <laughs> This is a serenity prayer situation. This is, I can't change none of this. So stop worrying about that. So for the last couple of weeks, I mean, couple of days, I've just been practicing radical um, self care and As listeners know from uh, our last episode, I'm on my way to colon hydrotherapy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow. Okay. So Uh, that's what I'm. That's what's going on with me. You know, when I go for my treatment tomorrow, and you know, all of it comes out, then I'll be good. (sighs) How about you, Sissy? Well, I am so glad that you asked. Mm -hmm. Start with. Um, oh, I'm fine. And I'm sorry you had to go through all that. Um, I personally, I have said throughout this year, I, well, not throughout the whole year, but once I found my center, mm-hmm. I stayed there before <laughs> this, during this. Mm-hmm woke up on Saturday morning I went to I went to bed last Friday and things were still up in the air mhm to sleep slept like a baby and I woke up Saturday morning and saw the results I've stayed centered and all week long and I I'm centered and that is in God because whatever whatever what's going to happen, it's going to be God's will. You better preach. I am preaching. I am preaching. I'm preaching my truth. That's right. And this whole thing, all this drama about he's not going to leave or he might not do this. He's not going to concede. He's going to do whatever God's will is. Mm-hmm. And so I am not twisted up by any means, when I woke up Saturday morning and saw what happened and uh, I was just like, it's God's will. Well, girl, if it, happened, if it had happened a different way, it still would have been well, God's well, will. And, you know, we usums, us humans, if we really, and I know everybody doesn't believe in God, any, you know, to the sound of our voice, there's lots of people out there Whoever your sinner is, and even if you don't have a sinner, the universe is such that what was going to happen is going to happen. No matter what, how much anxiety you go through or don't go through, you don't have control over it. For me, my sinner's God, so that's where I put it and, and let the anxiety go. But at the at the end of the day, girl, uh, short answer to your question I am grand and great. Thank you. Well, Sissy, we're going to unpack the election in another episode because I'm really ready to like dig into everything. But right now, what we got to do is really talk about some of the successes that happened to us locally, you know. And so we are so, so excited today. And um, I get to I'm going to welcome her. Um, Justice G. Helen Whitener is with us today. And uh, please, Justice, allow me to love on you just for a second. We're going to um, read your bio. And we feel like it is necessary because you've worked super hard. And so we're not going to skim over this. We're going to let our um, listeners know who is coming under the sound of their um, voice. So here we go. Justice G. Helen Whitener served as a Pierce County Superior Court judge until her appointment to the Washington State Supreme Court in April 2020. Yes, Governor, let's clap for that. Yes, yes. All right, Governor Jay Inslee appointed her to the Pierce County Superior Court in 2015, and she was elected to her position in 2015, and then was reelected to a full term in 2016. <clears throat> Prior to serving on the Superior Court bench, Justice Whitener served as a judge on the Washington State Board of Industrial Insurance Appeals and as a pro tem judge in Pierce County District Court and the City of Tacoma Municipal Court. So before becoming a judge, she litigated both civil and criminal cases for 14 years as first a prosecutor and defense attorney and later as a managing partner of the law firm of Whitener Rainey Ritt PS. Now this is this is the cool part right here. I love just getting into your service. Justice Whitener serves as co-chair of the Washington State Minority and Justice Commission and on the board of directors of the International Association of LGBT Judges, as well as on the Washington State Office of Civil Legal Aid Oversight Committee. She is the first black woman to serve on the Washington Supreme Court, the fourth yes. immigrant born justice and the first openly gay black LGBT judge in the state of Washington. Yes. Sister, girl, your honor. Hey, Thank sisters. Thank you for yes. being here. Yes. Can I just take a moment? Take a moment, take a moment. Okay. I just experienced absolute and pure joy. Listening to those accomplishments. I'm getting misty. Be misty, girl. Because I even edited the bio. I knew it was like super long. I'm misty. No, a lot of it will come out when we talk, but that was the part I'm like, what? This is joy. This is joy. And there is a difference between happiness and joy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Welcome. What say you?
2: Thank you, my sisters, for having me and giving me a space where my voice can be heard. I look forward to a discussion with you this evening. Thank you.
0: Yes. So let's start with, did you ever think in your wildest dreams you'd be right here like the justice washington state
2: no (laughs) (laughs) no i i don't look anything like the justices i don't look anything like um what you would think a justice looks like but i'm here to change that (laughs) i'm here to change that image and change the discourse around what a justice looks like because um Even though, you know, I'm the first black female, we had a black male years ago. And being the fourth immigrant born, you know, I'm from the island of Trinidad and Tobago. I think all those lens and being the only LGBT judge in the state of Washington still, um, all those lenses come to bear on the interpretation of the law that impacts all of us.
0: So- Okay, wait, 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 um, hold up. You said you're the only LGBT I'm, judge I'm the only openly
2: gay oh, the black judge yeah i am it <laughs> yeah you're hearing from the only openly gay black judge in the entire state so um hopefully that narrative will change just by me being here
0: just by and, you being um, here oh yeah
2: but uh
0: and that's what makes me misty yeah it makes me misty because we're in 2020. Why, in 2020, why does it take so long? And why do we still have that only word in front of accomplishments of accomplished? human beings. Why? I don't get that. That
2: The answer to that question is deep. And to put it bluntly, we're talking about systemic, structural, and institutional racism. We're talking about xenophobia. We're talking about homophobia. To be the first in 2020, yeah, that's a mouthful. shouldn't be, but those are the things we have to deal with, and those are the things we have to dismantle.
0: So tell us, okay, I want to start when, because Mel asked, did you ever think that, you know, you you would be here? What did you think when you were, give us a a tour of your journey of what you were thinking about what you were going to do from little all the way to now. Who is in front of us now? Just give us some insight into how it got here and your last your first memories to now. How'd you get here? Well, um,
2: if you ask my mother, she said I came out the wound ready <laughs> to fight. Oh. So so maybe from birth, you know, I was always gonna be me. And um, so I came here at 16. I became ill. I was doing my advanced degrees um, on the island, which is under the British system. So O-levels is the equivalent of high school here. I had completed that, and I was now doing A-levels. And I became paralyzed on my right side. And they didn't have medical treatment on the island. So I was sent here for medical reasons. I was 16 years old. While going through rehabilitation, is when a cousin of mine who had graduated from Baruch College um, said, you know, I was feeling really depressed. And she said, because I felt all my friends were going ahead of me now, um, because it's very competitive on the island education wise. And um, she said, why don't you apply to go to college here? I didn't know any college, so I did. And I got in as an international student to Baruch College. So I was finishing up my medical treatment and, started undergrad at 16. Um, A four-year program took me five years because I had relapses. There goes the high achiever in me and not taking care of my health. But um, my background was international marketing and trade. And I worked in that for about eight years prior to deciding to come to Washington State because I ended up from New York to Anchorage, Alaska. And I worked in international marketing and trade up there and the coal was getting to me. So I was heading back to the islands. you know. And um, a friend said, come to Washington, which I did. And um, I worked in, in, in an accounting firm in Bellevue because I couldn't get a job in international marketing. Alaska was the hub, but not Washington. And um, the rest I think is history because one of the partners at the accounting firm was also a lawyer. And I did a project for him. He liked it. He said, you know, he loved my reasoning skills and um, said I should consider law school. I asked him where he went. Back then it was UPS law school. And it was now then Seattle U um, law school. So he mentioned that. I researched it. Couldn't afford to go to law school. Couldn't afford to pay for the LSAT. I took the book out of the library, sat at my kitchen table, studied it, took the exam got into law school, and been going ever since. I'm really an immigrant because I held three jobs in law school. My first year, you I was like,
0: little...
2: I know. <laughs> my first year, I had three jobs, and I was raising four kids with my then ex. Um, they became wards of the state, and um, their their mothers were out there um you know, they became victims of the drug epidemic at the time, and they lost the, the girls. So we took all four of them in. So here I am going to law school, raising four girls, and uh, holding down three jobs. <laughs> so, but, um, wow! And trying to learn the, the American system, because the legal system is quite different. But, you know, I, I put in hard work, learned the system from the bottom up. And I can honestly say right now, on the Supreme Court, I have the most diverse background in that I've been a prosecutor, I've been a public defender, I've been a private defense attorney, and I've been a judicial officer on all three levels of the court. So I understand the trial level court quite intimately. But um, yeah, hard work and finding people who could mentor me because there wasn't anyone like me. (laughs) So, Uh and I, you know, when I got here, someone said, um, I'm a trailblazer. And I I didn't really think of myself as I'm working through the system as a trailblazer. So I had to do a little research. That's just how I am. What really does a trailblazer mean? And I realized it's being the first, you know, and um, yeah, it just so happened I was the first in a lot of things. (laughs) I just happened to be the one. So um, hard work, I think, at the end of the day, is what would describe my journey. And failure is never an option. My mother always said that it's just an opportunity to achieve. So anytime you fail, pick yourself up and keep going. Try again. You
0: know, justice. I am. I am exhausted. Hearing everything that you have done to get here i can't even imagine i mean there, i don't even the word isn't even fortitude i don't even know what it is well actually while you were talking about your journey i thought of, of the word anointing okay and for me in 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 my god center I was like, man, she was anointed to do this. Anointed. And anointing doesn't mean it's easy. Anointing is just you done it. And you're supposed to be doing this. What do you feel in your gut? Do you ever... Did, all along the way, did you ever question, um, think about giving up? I know you said, your mom said that, you know, there's no giving up. Failure is not an option. But as you were going through all of that, getting to this spot, what what kind of feelings came up for you? And how did you stay focused?
2: Well, it's funny you say anointed, because my parents were religious, and my father Um, always said to me, to thine own self be true. Mm. But also, as you were saying that, I realized I believe in guardian angels, my father's path. And I always say, the good Lord doesn't give you more than you can bear. So that fits into what my mother always said about pick up (laughs) and keep going. So, um, yes, there were times where I felt the challenge ahead was so insurmountable I couldn't figure out how was I going to do this. But remember, I came here with a disability. So I always thought of if I'm challenged, there's always somebody else who is even more challenged so I can get it done. Um, Because it wasn't just about my journey, it was about opening up doors for others like me. So um, when I say failure is not an option, it doesn't mean to say I never failed. I had many failures. It's just that instead of giving up, I dig in and I just keep moving forward. Um, you know, I've been called names. You know, I've been called the N word. I've been called all different sorts of things, depending on, you know, what category you want to pick as far as my marginalized background. But instead of taking that as a, a way of, um, I see those things as a way of silencing you. And for someone like me, my voice is very important. Losing my voice um, basically is losing myself. So I refuse mm-hmm. to lose my voice. So therefore, I refuse to have anyone take away anything from me that I've earned. And I've always earned everything the hard way because there isn't an easy track for me. But um, it's, it's, it was ne- never about just me. Like I say, my parents were very religious and my father always instilled in us um, giving back. It's really important to give back. And a lot of folks, even to today, say to me, you seem so down to earth. You know, that when you introduce yourself, and you say, hey, sister, I'm like, hey, I'm right in Yes, there. <laughs> yes. You know, because, um, yes, I've accomplished a lot, but those are titles. I- I'll give you a nice example. When I put on the robe, I garner respect because of the robe and what it signifies. When I take off the robe, um, hey sister, because that's what people see. You know, they see me, they see the black woman. They don't see the immigrant until I open up my mouth and I'm upset. <laughs> you know how it comes out. <laughs> they don't see the LGBT unless I disclose because I'm not what people consider whatever that is, an LGBT person is supposed to look like. Um, you know, and I don't always seem disabled or having a disability. So um Who they see is what you see. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have to remain grounded because I don't always have the cloak of respectability once I take that robe off. Some of my colleagues do, and it's called white. I don't have that. So, um, yeah, I think when you said anointed, I realize I have guardian angels, you know, and um, I just know whatever challenge I'm faced with, it's because I can overcome it.
0: So yes. I, I noticed that you uh, when we read your bio, you're on the is it the Minority Justice Commission?
2: Yes, Minority uh-huh. and Justice
0: Commission. What what is that? And and uh, what do you what do you do there?
2: It's a Supreme Court Commission. It was created a few years back under the first Black Supreme Court Justice, Justice Charles E. Smith. Smith, and it is to address race and ethnicity issues in regards to. Um, our courts, and access to justice in in a synopsis. So -hmm. we look at race and equity issues and how to um, address them, such as bail reform, jury service. I mean, we have covered a lot of things. And right now we're having listening series to address um, the hmm, racial, this proportionate impact race has had in regards to the um, systemic and institutional and structural racism um, in our court system in the justice system.
0: So who, so this is for who? This sounds like some white people stuff. I mean, do they you know is that who it is?
2: Or No, no, no. The Minority and Justice Commission, I co-chair it with Washington State's first Asian and Latina justice, Justice Mary Yu. And we look at race and ethnicity issues and the impact those things have on the justice system.
0: I I guess I'm saying is that we, you know, as people of color, we've been freaking knowing and impacted by all of this stuff all these times. So why do we have to have a freaking listening session? Don't we? We've been screaming for a long time. Well, we have, but they haven't which is
2: why it's a listening series for them. And we bring in the community, we have one for the community. We plan on doing one with um, lawyers. We plan on doing one with judicial officers. And that's why it's a listening series for them. The ones who were not aware or failed to be aware, because it's always been there, um, what we observed in regards to the killing of George Floyd. Black people have been talking about that for years, you know. The That's issues right. regarding policing, we've been talking about that for years. And not just Black people, people of color, um, indigenous people. We've been talking. I think it's a little different now. And I don't know if you're aware, but the minority and the Supreme Court put out a letter as a charge to the legal community. to It's, it's upon us to deal with systemic racial issues. And... Um, that has taken on a movement in and of itself. And if you haven't, if you weren't aware of the letter, I have it with me. I could read parts of it to you, but yes, it's, it's, it's powerful. So yes. it's, it's relatively short. You can tell me when to, to shut up, but it went out June 4th. I got to the Supreme Court in April. In May, uh, George Floyd was killed and within a week of his killing, The Supreme Court put out this letter on June 4th that's just been unprecedented and it's pretty much has gone um, nationwide where courts are now looking at this and taking it a little seriously. Um, And it's unprecedented for a Supreme Court but we have the most diverse Supreme Court in the nation. So I thought it was really good coming from us, but it says, Dear members of ju- the judiciary and the legal community, we are compelled by recent events to join other state Supreme Courts around the nation in addressing our legal community. The devaluation and degradation of Black lives is not a recent event. It is a persistent and systematic, systemic sorry, injustice that predates this nation's founding. But recent events have brought to the forefront of our collective consciousness a painful fact that is for too many of our citizens, common knowledge, the injustices faced by Black Americans are not relics of the past. We continue to see the racialized policing and the overrepresentation of Black Americans in every stage of our criminal and juvenile justice systems. Our institutions remain affected by the vestiges of slavery, Jim Crow laws that were never dismantled, and racist court decisions that were never disavowed. The legal community must recognize that we all bear responsibility for this ongoing injustice and that we are capable of taking steps to address it if only we have the courage and the will. The injustice still plaguing our country has its roots in the individual and collective action of many, and it cannot be addressed without the individual and collective actions of us all. As judges, we must recognize the role we have played in devaluing Black lives. This very court once held that a cemetery could lawfully deny grieving Black parents the right to bury their infant. We cannot undo this wrong, but we can recognize our ability to do better in the future. We can develop a greater awareness of our own conscious and unconscious biases in order to make just decisions in individual cases, and we can administer justice and support court rules in a way that brings greater racial justice to our system as a whole. As lawyers and members of the bar, we must recognize the harms that are caused when meritorious claims go unaddressed due to systemic inequities or the lack of financial, personal or systemic support. And we must also recognize that this is not how a justice system must operate. Too often in the legal profession, we feel bound by tradition and the way things have always been. We must remember that even the most venerable precedent must be struck down when it is incorrect and harmful. The systemic oppression of Black Americans is not merely incorrect and harmful, it is shameful and deadly. Finally, as individuals, we must recognize that systemic racial injustice against Black Americans is not an omnipresent specter that will inevitably persist. It is a collective product of each of our individual actions, every action, every day. It is only by carefully reflecting on our actions, taking individual responsibility for them and constantly striving for better that we we can address the shameful legacy we inherit. We call on every member of our legal community to reflect on this moment and ask ourselves how we may work work together to eradicate racism. As we lean in to do this hard and necessary work, may we also remember to support our Black colleagues by lifting their voices. Listening to and acknowledging their experiences will enrich and inform our shared cause of dismantling systemic racism. We go by the title of justice, and we reaffirm our deepest level of commitment to achieving justice by ending racism. We urge you to join us in these efforts this is our moral imperative. And it is signed by nine Supreme Court justices.
0: Oh, well, go ahead, Washington State. Oh, yes. That came from our, that that came yes. from State.
2: Our Supreme, Supreme Court. Court justice. Yes. Well, Supreme go Court. ahead,
0: Washington State Supreme Court okay. 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 Okay yes i'm oh my it's signed by all nine all nine okay okay listen 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 we're gonna uh come back to this we got to go to break right now And when we come back we are going to delve a little bit deeper oh my goodness how proud we are audrey uh, you see you hear that Oh my gosh. I'm speechless listeners, we'll be back. I, I am too. We'll be back. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away.
1: This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact either positive or negative. Words have history, and when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize, and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them and to find questions about other important words, visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We are joined today by Justice Helen Whitener of the Washington State Supreme Court. And she just dropped a little juicy nugget on us. Girl. Girl, did you hear that? I did. And um, so while... uh, justice whitener was reading that letter in my head i was like oh maybe maybe i don't understand who wrote that letter um i thought it was from you know washington state supreme court people the justices but then she has said that she was the only black one so i was very confused i know in my brain and let me tell you let me just let me just give you a little insight why I was confused because it was so on point so on point there was no fragility terminology in it you know what I mean they said shameful there was okay I'm gonna go there (laughs) <laughs> there was no um murky terminology in there. It's clear. It was just clear, clear, point, truthful, real, factual. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was confused. But girl, they're not justices. And so, <laughs> okay, let me let me look let me look, ask a little behind the scenes stuff. Who actually wrote that though? I mean Uh, (laughs) Court justices signed it. (laughs) Okay, they signed it, but did you all did you all collaborate on it or did somebody like take the lead and then then everybody was like, Yeah, I'm gonna sign that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Well that's the way projects usually work anyway in any environment, you know.
2: (laughs) I think the important thing is is they signed it. They Which means they agree yes. with it, they so irrespective it. of who wrote it, That's they right. and and the way the Supreme Court works is you don't always get consensus. That's a majority, you know. Um, you have a majority; five can make a majority. Yeah, four is this dissent, and I like your hat, by the way, Melanie. <laughs> I dissent. Yeah, but the thing is, I think what's truly powerful is that they all signed it. And when you break down your Supreme Court on race, you're talking about one white male or white females, one Latino male, one Asian and Mexican female, one and only Native American female, and then one and only Black female. So you have a cross cultural bench that looked at the letter and agreed that, yes, each in their own individual right agreed to sign off on it. And um, that's what's important. You know, so It wasn't a majority. Is- it was all.
0: Yes. That, and, and yes, that is it all. To not have a dissent yes. about that that's for me regular person out here you know black woman in America walking around in black skin every day when it comes to race we already know what that's that that can be sensitive specifically when it comes to Black people, African American people, the label we were given, because we was in Africa minding our own business, and we brought us over. I've never, this is the first time that I have not heard any dissent about how we move forward. We shouldn't.
2: And you shouldn't hear any dissent. This should be something that should be ingrained in all of us, but it's not. Yes. And this is another reason, too, I think um, it's important to understand why representation matters. Mm -hmm. You ask yourself um, the status quo for um, a Supreme Court or even for the judiciary is white male. Mm -hmm. And here it is. Once you start getting representation and more representation, you have more voices with more experiences coming to bear on the issues that have to be addressed. And this is where I realize representation truly matters in assisting those that don't have your own experiences to understand, you know, the road that you have to walk and the things that you have to experience. So having, I think, four Supreme Court justices with a diverse background um, is truly, truly different, which is why they say we're the most diverse Supreme Court. But I also think it it helps in the types of decisions that will, I believe, come out of the Supreme Court. Not because we have some agenda, but because our experiences come to bear on the decision and the interpretation of the law. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't understand what it's like to be me. Unless you got somebody like me sitting there and, you know, informing the discussion. Um, I have no idea what it's like to be Native American, but it's nice to hear my colleagues' perspective on things, you know? So I think representation is
0: huge. I think it is as well, because I, um, as human beings, just let's start at humanity, at the basic human being level. So we're all human beings, and then we go through our journeys of life, experiencing different things, um, All you know, in our families, uh, things that we do, the food that we eat, all of that. And then when we meet each other, we are always looking for common ground. Common ground is the start of it all, right? So if you don't have any common ground to start with, It is then the imagination has to come into play, and so if there is nothing in my life that I can even a little bit relate to somebody else, it doesn't mean that um, I'm not. You know, I don't. I don't feel any one way or another about them. I'm just gonna look. At the other place, where oh, I have a lot in common with them. Mm-hmm. So you Have such a diverse group, you know, uh, at, at our at the uh, judicial level, going to be more of a chance that somebody's going to be be able to relate to something, even right. one thing. Yes. That's right. You don't have to be fully indoctrinated into somebody else's culture. You just have to have get one inkling of, oh, that kind of sounds like the time where, in my life, this happened.
2: And what you're talking about is the intersectionality of all of those issues. And that's the perspective I like to bring to to bear on things. Because I'll give you a nice example. You know, back in the day, Jim Crow days, you've probably seen the photo of the water fountain. Yes, white and colored. colored. Mm-hmm. Well, a few years ago, we had very similar circumstances that if you visualize that picture, it would make sense. And that is the bathroom situation in regards to transgender individuals. Yes, you know? If yes. you don't see the intersectionality of these issues, then you're not seeing people, you know, one day it's race. Next day, sexual orientation, because we did not address the underlying issue, which is the systemic barriers that are in place. So I always say my lens come to bear on issues such as that, because I see the intersectionality of these issues. I know what it is to be accepted in one part of me by one group. And I'll give you an example. African-Americans accepting of me as a black individual until they hear I'm LGBT, Ah. You know, so because of the religious, yes, um, yeah, factor that comes religious. to beer. So, is seeing the intersectionality. You know, today it's me, tomorrow it's you. If you don't see it, I was just gonna say
0: that me, my perspective when there is any type of judgment and segregation I question well what's next Mm -hmm. just because okay so you think that this is the way it should be I mean you know and I'm talking Mm -hmm. about people in general but my weave stands up on edge whenever I hear it you know this is Oh, because just because you don't do this or you don't see this and you're judging, you're judging. People judge. And they can make a great argument for it. And especially with the with the uh, LGBT thing in the black church. Mm-hmm. How in the world, and my brain has gone here often. Wait a minute. So now we're talking about, we judging in the name of God. I don't remember anything in the Bible or anything about God, but love thy neighbor. No, oh girl, we judging in the name of Jesus. Are we loving in the we 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 are judging and segregating in the name of Jesus. Know some about that stinks, and and anything that has to do with judgment, judgment, because judgment means, and I know you are a judge. I'm talking about when we're judging individuality. I, as human beings i have a problem with that because we are judging from our lens just our personal lens and let me tell you there's some people that ain't never been out there barely out the state let alone been exposed to anything else so how you going to judge something you don't even know what's out there in the world okay that's all i had to say on that go ahead <clears throat> so thank tired. you for listening judge <laughs> <laughs> we can fix that in the editing room, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, oh no, you didn't go there. Go here. shady shady. <laughs> so, 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 Judge, what I'm interested in is, you know, what's on you all's docket right now. You know, what are the the type of policies and and concerns and things going on in the state that listeners need to be aware of? Is there I don't know. Do we get is there an activist kind of stuff that do we lobby the Supreme Court? Do we go stand out in front of the court and Black Lives Matter? You know, like no. <laughs> how do we support you? Do you know like who in there? We'll roll up and be like, Judge White. No. Wrong branch no. of
2: government, two
0: key in them. No. no, no, wrong no. branch of government. Yeah. So help um, us understand, cause we ain't, you know, you the first black, one. so we we don't know how we don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> so help us with,
2: uh, well, you know, there are three branches of government, and the legislative branch is the branch that takes care of what you're asking about. The judiciary, we have canons that we. Um, are bound to comply with. So, and especially when you get to the high court, the Supreme Court, we are really limited in regards to what issues we can discuss. So we can talk broadly about the administration of justice and access to justice broadly. But when we start getting into the minutia, that's where you get into the legislative branch, because think about it this way. You don't want a judge or a justice having preconceived positions on the issue you're bringing before the court. There's a thing called impartiality, neutrality. But having said that, that doesn't mean to say you can't bring your lens to bear on the interpretation of the law in regards to the issue. But that does not mean you have a preconceived position on it. Um, I've made decisions that uh, I don't really agree with. But if the law says I have to, that's, You know, even though I may try to work my lens on it and I can't get around it, that's for the legislature. That's where you realize, oh, I can't legislate from the bench. You know, you can write a decision where you point out, here's a flaw in the law and it's a loophole and then the legislature jumps on that and tries to close the loophole or address it if it in fact is an issue. But um, in regards to certain things, we have to be careful within our canons how we address it. And I okay. always speak from my truth. So that's how I address a lot of these issues.
0: Okay, then. Well, then help us understand Amy middle name Barrett. Okay, that's going Coleman, Cohen, Amy Cohen Barrett, mm-hmm. our latest Supreme Court justice that didn't answer any questions uh, in the in her confirmation hearings, because she had to see what the law said and what the situations are, and this, that, and another. So, should we be worried about Roe v. Wade? Should we be worried about um, Obamacare? What is it out of citizens' hands now to do anything? Um, well, help us, help us, uh, like decipher her testimony. What does she really say? She's saying what she's allowed to say
2: by her canons, and that's what I'm talking about. Okay. You can ask her the question, but because her canons and because of the appearance, um, the interesting thing about the law is not just impartiality, it's the appearance of. So that's why when you get to a certain level and you're asked certain questions, you have to go on your record. So right now I've reached the highest court, and now I'm looking at the decisions made by the lower courts. So when I'm asked questions such as she was asked, you have to basically sidestep giving a definitive answer, which would say that you have a preconceived position on it, which means you can't be fair. So what you would have to do as the lay person in wondering about those questions is look at her record. And the record has to speak for what you come up with in regards to how you see the judicial officer. Um, The higher up you go, the more restricted you are because you are now seeing and making law by way of precedent in regards to issues. And um, she's is unable to, I'm unable to answer specific questions, but you can look at our record and have an idea of possibly how we would decide. The difference too with her is this, she has a position for life. So her record may be um, counter to how she ends up ruling once she gets there. You know, people may be upset with a lot of her previous rulings, but once she gets sworn in, who is to say how she's going to decide in regards to certain issues? Some things will stay in line with who she is as an individual, but some things may change based on where she's at in regards to the law and knowing that she's secure in her position.
0: Mm, Mm -hmm. that's very insightful. Thank you for that. That's a really wonderful insight. You know, we really appreciate that. Sister, I have a question that I want to get to um, justice while we're all still together. And that is, uh, what do you want to tell us about anything that we haven't already talked about today? because you've taken your time to be with us Mm -hmm. and be able to at least walk away from here telling us anything you want to about anything about you. Well, there's a lot of work still that needs
2: to be done and people need to come together. People need to understand, like I was saying, the intersectionality of issues, but we have a race problem in America. We have a race problem in America and the judiciary and the judicial system and the justice system is just a microcosm of the whole, you know, I just got yes. through an election and I pretty much prevailed, but my opponent was a white male, about 60 some odd years old. He just basically got his bar number in May and he ran against me, the audacity. but the constitution allows that. Wow. The thing that I think people need to be aware of is about a million, because I got a little over 2 million Washingtonians supporting me, voting for me, but yes. he got about a million. So, what does that say? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a Black woman who has qualified and has years of experience. And I literally had an opponent with no legal experience, he's never practiced law but 1 million Washingtonians voted for him. So we have a race issue and that's just being straight up and forthright about it. And it is an issue that we as a people, all of Washington uh, needs to be aware of. The other thing is not many people understand the judiciary. So thank you for giving me a space where I can have this discussion with you. And I hope it's not the last time I get to
0: hang out with my sister. Oh, it won't be. No. Look, let me me just, the point that you're making, Judge, this is mm -hmm. the quote that I I posted on my Facebook, but I think it's to your point. This is President Lyndon B. Johnson. If you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for Mm -hmm. you. Amen. Boom. So yes. this there's what this white man just looked at you and said, This is what I'm gonna do. And you yeah. have all the experience, the training, the preparation. And so one million people told us that they don't care about that. He white. And so yeah. that's his position. Yeah. 72 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. Okay, so the the whole idea is that, and and this is why I'm grateful. Okay, we're grateful for that 1 million. And we're grateful for that 72 million because they've given us the data set that we need to govern ourselves accordingly. Whenever space we walk into nowadays, we're gonna be like, mm, well, there's like 50%, I of see the, you. 50% of the people ain't gonna even believe what I, you know, I see you, and I'm going to continue to do the work. But thank you for showing us who you are. So, and, and, and you know, and once you show us, once you show, I'm going to say this very quickly. Once you, those seventy-two million and that one million in your situation, justice, you you showed us who you are, and you can't go back. Once you take the sheet off, once you come from under the rock, oh, we saw you already. You can't go back under. You cannot go back under. Justice, keep talking, though. You know, I teach at um, Judicial College, and I lecture uh,
2: locally and nationally and internationally as well on human rights and those sort of issues and bias. But I'll leave you with this. And I, I usually throw this out, two things. There's been a lot of training about implicit bias, and that's mm-hmm. where people understand their subconscious bias. But to the recipient, it's always been explicit because I can't read your mind. That's one. Two, when you have two equally qualified applicants for a position, because, you know, we're talking about the law, but let's bring it down to just real life situations. Two people walk in the door applying for a position. One is a white male. One is a person from a marginalized background, equally qualified. The only difference is the white male has been doing it for 20 years and the marginalized individual has been doing it for 10. And if I ask you, well, they're equally qualified, who do you pick for the position? And 99.9% of the folks respond, well, the one who's been doing it 20 years. Oh, Lord. And I challenge you to see that as flawed that mm-hmm. reasoning is flawed and here's why yes. because the individual, the marginalized individual with 10 years of experience, just to be considered equally qualified in half the time overcame institutional, structural and systemic barriers just to be considered equally qualified that's the more qualified candidate
0: absolutely okay, and because then
2: then- the other one obviously took too long 20 years to figure it out. The marginalized individual quarterman in 10 years.
0: Okay, but look, yes. that whole argument judge is is like mute now because moot now because that number 45 got a job and had no experience. So <laughs> you know. I'm just no, I, tell me. That's tell the me, thing. Number 45 had
2: cuz that's a different argument. Number 45 had color. Thank you. And came from- Orange, orange. Outside the establishment. And at that time, what 45 had was a woman. That's the marginalized individual. Yes. 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 So marginalized doesn't have to be race. It can be gender. And that's what you had going on there.
0: So it's the same, same analogy. You know, gosh, we could talk to you forever. I know we got to go. This is, I mean, this is. Will you come back? Can sure. we have you at, please? Because you know, sure. we want to. We we really we have some really loyal and wonderful listeners, and you, you know, all across the channel two five three platform, and you could really help us to understand what we need to understand regarding the law because policy and law and all of those things are our path to freedom, you know, in in terms of my mind. It's like, that's the activist work. So, what I say say is that I'm walking away from today and talking with you with a greater, well, I had zero understanding I didn't even recognize we have a Washington State Supreme Court. I mean, <laughs> I'm saying it. Okay, real, okay. 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 And within that, I didn't understand what exactly that meant and such. And I'm telling you, thank you so much for that letter, reading that letter. How would we know this? How would we know? that our own Washington State Supreme Court is all that. We would never, well, I'll just speak for me. I would never know. Okay, well. CNN doesn't report on us, you know what I mean? So thank you. Listen, in the words of, what's it, Lakeside? In the words of Lakeside, it's all the way, Uh, (laughs) Boop, boop, it's all the way live. Was that Lakeside? That was Lakeside. Okay, well, justice, sister, girlfriend. Thank you. Your honor. Thank you you for joining us on the What Say You podcast. We are so grateful.
1: Your honor. And let me
0: say one more thing. With the robe or without the robe, I would always respect you. If I just met you in regular life and didn't know you had a robe, I would respect your wisdom, your graciousness, and your kindness. And, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for go that. that. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank All you right, so babe. much. All, All right. got going to drop the mic. Peace out. Peace Thanks. out. Thank you for listening to What Say You? If you have conversation ideas or want to follow up on what you heard, please contact Melanie by email at melanie at MissMelanie.com, M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E, at M-I-S-S-M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E.com.
1: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to Channel 253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. The What Say You podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, and We Art Tacoma. This is Channel 253.